deep love you have for us and the story that you invite us to be a part of? Would your spirit bring to life words that maybe we've heard before? Would you speak through Cyril this morning? Would you draw us in to what you have for us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just a note that junior high are in here with us uh, during this the gathering this morning. Wednesday was kind of a weird day. We kind of had the melding of two juxtaposed holidays. You had this celebration of the love that comes between people, spouses, and so I had this kind of, oh yes, it's Valentine's Day, I love my wife. And then I had Ash Wednesday, this kind of, oh, we're heading towards Easter and thinking about death and giving up things. And, and so it was a very interesting kind of combination. I don't know if you guys had that similar kind of trying to figure out how to, to navigate those waters. There was a, a viral story that went online um, that kind of captured the two things for me. I don't know if you've seen this picture. It came with a, a post on Facebook and it kind of exploded across the internet. This is what the post said. You know... We are all guilty of taking our other half for granted from time to time. We may forget to give a goodbye kiss, say I love you, or just be caught up in what we're doing at the moment that we don't notice the very little things that mean so much to our special someone. I saw something today that made me remember that we won't always have each other to hold, talk to, love, play with, or even just aggravate every once in a while. This picture speaks loudly and it may hurt your heart as it has mine. This man looks like he's spending Valentine's Day alone at first glance. But that is actually his wife in that very beautiful bottle sitting on the table. Apparently his love for her was and still is very strong as he takes her ashes out for Valentine's lunch date together. He even bought her a glass of wine. Please love your sweetheart. While you have the opportunity, you never know what tomorrow will bring or take away. Happy Valentine's Day, all. You, that, that did hit my heart. It was, and there's been some debate online about whether this is the right interpretation. There's people who are kind of zooming in saying, I don't know if that's actually your ashes, but just even the picture of this man kind of weeping across the way from this empty plate and reminds me maybe a bit of God Let's you think a little bit about God just crying for his people. Crying for his bride, his church. Just realizing the sting of death that plagues humanity. He loves us. He, he mourns our losses. And he wants to give eternal life. God loves us so much that he sent his very son to come to us, to give up his life so that we could be rescued. So this year as we enter Lent, we are going to take some time to delve into the Gospel of John, chapter 17. 
which is often known as the high priestly prayer, where kind of Christ intervenes on our behalf. The season of Lent, if you're wondering what that is, it's simply just the 40 days before Easter. Kind of the, the traveling in the wilderness, like we saw the people of Israel do before they finally got to the promised land. And we ought to think through and prepare ourselves for those holy days of Easter. And so this makes a lot of sense, this extensive prayer that Jesus speaks, one of the longest prayers, probably the longest prayer that we have in Scripture. He is preparing himself to die. So we pray it will be preparing our hearts as we prepare ourselves for Easter. John 17, 1. And after saying all these things, Jesus looked to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that he can give his glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one that you have given to him. The scene is set. We are at the Last Supper. The meal has been completed. Judas has absconded and taken off. And now Jesus is with his 11. And he gives an extended epic sermon. And then he closes with this prayer. Notice, though, how he goes about his prayer. He doesn't close his eye and bow his head, as we might think. He opens his eyes and he looks up to heaven to the Father. And he begins this conversation with the Father, which... The 11 over here. He says, the hour has come. That might seem kind of just natural kind of language to us. This is actually something really important to Jesus throughout his ministry. If we go all the way back to John chapter three, his mother comes to him and says, hey, the wine's run out at this party. Do you think you can help? And what does he say? Hey, my hour has not yet come. Time and time again, people come to him and, and kind of interact with him, enemies, other people, and he says to them, my hour's not here. My hour's not here. And finally, at this moment, he's saying, the hour's here. It's go time. You can imagine his heart. The emotions are welling up in him. He's, he's facing like, okay, like, death is around the corner. And then he makes this very interesting, somewhat strange prayer request. The thing he asked for, you actually look through it, he talks a lot about, about the reality of things. The one thing he asked for is glorify your son. That's it. I don't want you. I don't really spend much time going to God, glorify me. It shows that we were dealing with a very unique person. And we talk about Jesus and who he was and who he thinks about himself. He doesn't think about himself as just any other person. He says to God, can you glorify me? There's a reason for it. Because he realizes as he is glorified in the coming days, he can give that to God. And God is going to get some glory that he's never had before as people start to hear the story of his love by pouring out the life of his son. God, glorify your son. The hour has come. I'm facing a certain death. And then he continues on and he, and he explains the reality of the situation and what he's offering to people. He says, he talks about eternal 
This phrase, eternal life, is something as Christians, sometimes we get uncomfortable with, sometimes we get bored of it. But this is actually kind of key to what Christ is proclaiming, especially in the Gospel of John. We see this term, eternal life, pop up 17 times in this book. It's an important phrase for him. And I wonder if as he's saying this, if his mind kind of goes back to this time where he's beginning his ministry, right back in John chapter 3, when this man, Nicodemus, kind of creeps in the middle of the night because he doesn't want to get seen because he's one of the power figures. He's one of the leaders of the country. He comes to Jesus and says, I'm noticing what you're doing, and it's obvious. This has to be from God. Can you explain this to me? And then Jesus proceeds to talk about being born again. And he gets confused. What? And Jesus gets kind of frustrated with him. Like, are you supposed to be a leader of the country? You don't understand what's going on? And he explains to him, he says to him, if you want eternal life, you're going to have to be born of water and the spirit. You're going to have to believe in the son. He says some things that are pretty strong, actually. He says that eternal life will come when the son of man is lifted up. Whoever believes will receive eternal life. And we have the famous phrase here, he says to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but receive eternal life. He says something even a little harder. He says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not believe in the son does not have eternal life. This idea of eternal life is, is very important to him and he starts to unpack it as he continues his prayer. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. This is not an ordinary man talking about having glory with God pre-existent to the earth actually existing. This is a powerful statement. We often talked about this. This is him declaring his divinity. He is one with the Father. He is God. And he says, if you want eternal life, you get it by knowing God, and you get to know God by getting to know Jesus. If we think about this idea of him having this glory before the world began, and we realize that he laid it down, he laid it on down, we start to understand maybe why some of us practice Lent. Myself, part of me is reminded of Jesus kind of letting go of that glory to focus on God. So some of us might let go of the chocolate or the alcohol. Or, it's, like, it's, not a, it's not a big sacrifice if we're honest. But boy, it's not as easy as we think. So remember, every time we, we kind of fall, it's realizing that the, the, the sun laid it down. Jesus is God, and he's coming here, and he says, I'm completing my work now. I am bringing eternal life to those who believe in me. I've revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave to me. 
They accepted it and know that I came from you and they believe that you sent me. His prayer moves on to his disciples. He starts talking about how God has revealed himself to his followers through Jesus. And they realize that everything that he has is just a gift from God and everything they have is just a gift from God. And now he's passed on this message that he's come into this world to deliver. And they accepted and they believed. By believing Jesus, we bring glory to the Father. We receive eternal life. That's very simple, yet the most profound truths a human could ever encounter. And I believe that part of this prayer is he's praying this, he's praying like, they believe, they, they received it, like, and we're gonna hear later, like, keep them going, God, help them hold on. This is the basic gospel message he's praying. And he's praying for this divine plan to keep going. The words he uses here, glorify, glory, sent, believe, world, love. These are all the words that Jesus has been using a lot through the entire gospel. These are like the favorite words that John puts in the, in the mouth of Jesus. Jesus loves talking about the world and how much God loves the world. He loves talking about eternal life and, and the glorification of God through this. It's basically summarizing his own relationship with the Father. And how he wishes like the disciples will continue in that same intimacy. Jesus glorifies the Father by showing that God is sovereign over all the evil that tries to distract us, even death. That, that God loves all of humanity, every single one of us. And that he gives eternal life to those that would believe in his Son. And this is the very central purpose of the life of Jesus, to glorify the Father by imparting eternal life to humans. It's beautiful. I wonder if you're a little bit like me, you think, like, that's a, I, I, it's powerful. How does, it, how does it apply to my life, though? Because this beginning part, Jesus is basically just praying to God about himself. How do I, how do I apply this in my life? Well, the very first thing, I, I think it kind of gives me a, a, a reminder is that, that I need prayer to keep in step with God. Jesus here is consecrating himself and all the work he's about to undertake by prayer. Prayer isn't an option, it's a necessity. Jesus needs to pray to the Father in order to get through this thing. He needs it. Prayer is part of our ethos, the truth. We've been hearing a lot more prayer. We're gonna have a prayer meeting, a monthly prayer meeting we do at the end of the month every Wednesday, so I wanna invite you on the 28th to come out to that. And I've been thinking a lot about prayer, and I don't know about you, I, on my Facebook feed, I've been hearing some things, and I've been thinking about it a lot, because I, I it's, it's kind of complicated, I kind of get it, but I've been hearing a lot of uh, this talk about thoughts and prayers. Are you hearing this? We've had a horrible school shooting in Florida. And one of the frustrations people are having is that people just say thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. And, kind of, and, and so what's been happening is like people are kind of um, talking, no more thoughts and prayers. Or, and, and it's kind of this like, we need action. And, and I want to throw this out there. I get that. I, I understand that um, part of our calling as humans is to do something about things that need help. But I worry that when I hear this, that there's a disparaging of prayer. I'm like, thoughts and prayers, we don't need those. Not, they're not useful. It's almost like, and, I, and I'm seeing a lot of my Christian friends posting this as well, and I, and I wonder if we're just kind of buying into secular humans and not realizing what's hit, hitting there. I 
Maybe if Canadian Christians actually started praying for our brothers and sisters in the South, there might actually be some real change. And I mean, pray for what you think will change it. Pray for gun control laws. Pray for mental health care. Pray, pray is what I'm saying. Don't become part of uh, saying prayer is nothing. As if posting on Facebook was something. Again, I get the point. We need people to do something. But mocking prayer's efficacy to feel better about what we're doing, I think that, that's a cheap shot. I don't worry about it. And I just want to throw this, I'm not talking about any one person. This is kind of a whole deal. And I feel, I feel the, the compulsion. I understand. But I wonder, do we think that Canadians posting about this on Facebook is doing more than Canadians praying about it? Until we start thinking that spending time praying for something is more effective than posting about it on Facebook, the church is in trouble. Now, I'm not saying when it comes to social change that we stop at prayer. Far from it. What I'm saying is we start with prayer and we realize that prayer is needed throughout the whole process. Prayer is important. Prayer can get us actually moving into action. It's a form of action. And so I just want to throw that out there. Disparaging prayer is probably one of the worst things we can do as Jesus followers. When I witnessed a murder, it was a long time ago, St. Patrick's Day, 95. I remember that we tried to go to bed and we couldn't sleep. We started trying to get a hold of each other. And we just, none of us who saw it, we couldn't sleep. And the only thing that really helped is a bunch of people, our friends, came to us and they took us and they brought us into this like little basement place in the bottom of our school and there was a bunch of people just praying with us, praying for us. It was the only thing that brought any kind of semblance of possible hope in the face of the loss of life like that. I wonder what would happen if they never prayed for us at that time. How, if I could have, if I would have got through it. Jesus is facing his death here and he decides that he needs to take some serious time to pray. So this week as part of, um, and, and, and throughout the series, part of what we want to do to help become this church of prayer we're talking about, to take prayer seriously one of the things that we want to do is actually have prayer as part of our service. So at the end of the service, if you're feeling you need prayer, whether it's for something really serious, maybe it's just a general feeling, maybe, maybe whatever God's put on your heart, maybe it's from someone else, we're going to have some people up the front to be, to be there to pray for you. So please take, take the chance, come on up. We'll have a bunch of our, we'll have leadership team, we'll have prayer team members, but we want, we want to make sure that prayer, as part of our Lenten journey, is being taken seriously and, and recognizes the power that it is. The second thing that comes from this passage that I think we need to start to recognize and apply in our own lives is that eternal life comes from knowing Jesus. That eternal life was always the plan that God had for humanity. That he wants us to live forever. That someday... We have a chance to live forever. 
He always had this plan. He made us. He wanted us to be eternal beings. And then we decided to eat from that fruit of the tree of evil rather than the tree of life. And ever since we've been bound into the circle of death, and I think as Christians, sometimes it's really easy to forget how profound this is because when we first come to Christ, it's kind of a focus. We've heard it so many times, we might even start to devalue it, start to think about, okay, it's more about living here and now. And I want to say a huge part of coming to know Christ is what it does for our life here and now and how we live it out. It changes radically our life right now. But part of the reality is also that we will be able to live into infinity. It's a promise that Christ gives us. It's part of his main message. He keeps giving this promise. It's a gift. He keeps bringing us, hey, eternal life, eternal life. It kind of reminds me of another Valentine's Day story that was making the rounds this year. I don't know if you've seen this picture. I've seen a little clip. This is Ron Kramer with his wife Donna. And he's been coming to her with the exact same box of chocolates every year at Valentine's Day for 39 years. And I mean literally the exact same box. It's actually, they, when he came, they said, oh, just bring the box back next year. So he comes back with the box, he takes it open, they fill it with candy, and he brings it to her. Every year. It's like Christ keeps offering us the hope of eternal life. And, it, and, and what's interesting is that lately, unfortunately, she's, she's entered into having dementia sometimes. So sometimes she doesn't even recognize things or remember things. Thankfully, this year, when they were doing the kind of news special on it, she remembered. And she was really excited, and she was excited about this gift. And I just pray that, that we have that kind of remembrance of this gift that God is bringing us, that he keeps bringing us, the eternal life that is living in us right now, this beautiful thing not to be taken for granted. I hope we as Christians can remember this gift that God brings us time and again, eternal life. Remember how profound it is. It might be easy to get used to the promise, but this is something important. For some of you who maybe, you know, you've been wondering about Jesus for now. You've been walking the path and you've been kind of, you know, falling in love with Jesus, but you're not, you haven't maybe quite made that step. I just want to encourage you to take that step and say, you know what, I, I realize I believe in Jesus. You could do it sitting quietly and just praying to him and saying, Lord, I, I believe you. I, I want to follow you. I want to receive your gift of eternal life. You might be able to come and talk with one of us and we'll pray with you. But I just want to encourage you to make that step. And maybe you're someone who's made that step, but you haven't maybe made that second step. When Jesus talks about being coming through water and spirit. Maybe, you, maybe it's time for you to, to think about being baptized. You might have been baptized as a kid and you're, you're realizing, you know what, like I, I realize I want to make this personal step. I want to stand in front of my church family and declare, I follow Jesus. Just talk to us. We're going we're gonna to have a baptism on Easter. You don't know how happy it would make this entire family to be there to see you enter into the death of Christ on the cross and be raised again to life. Like Jesus said to Nicodemus, to receive eternal life, we must be born of water and the Spirit. The last thing I think God's been speaking to me in this passage is that my life should be all about glorifying the Son. Just like Jesus' life was all about glorifying the Father. Father. 
What would it look like if every morning we woke up and we asked ourselves, how can I glorify God today? God brought you into life with a task. Remember how Jesus said, I'm here, I'm completing the task you set before me. God brought you into life with a task and that task is to continue to give glory to God. That he gives you some of his glory and we give it back to him, just like Jesus did. To do the things that he made you for. That you can make this universe shine stronger with the glory of God as you pursue your relationship with him. That the goodness, the mercy, the justice, the glory of God starts to manifest itself in your life in a way that allows the world to see better God's glory. Isn't that an incredible task? And you do it uniquely in a very special way that he wants you to show his glory. Someday I pray that we'll be able to say the same thing that Jesus said here, I have brought you glory on earth. Now, it's not that God needs to make himself look good. He's not craving attention. He doesn't need like some ego to get scratched here. What he's doing is he's offering you an opportunity to participate in the grand story of redemption that he's writing. We have a chance to take part in this beautiful drama unfolding. The author is a maestro. He is a genius, and he's kind enough to let us play our role in the cosmic masterpiece. Jesus is the star, but he's training us, he's directing us to help us have this incredible story of eternal life play out before our eyes. God watches the world and he cries. It's true. But he didn't stop there. He decided to send his son into the world to make it right again. And Jesus continues to intercede and plead on on behalf of us plebs. He is a great high priest who would bleed for the least now we get to write our story to bring him glory. Amen. As we continue our worship gathering this morning, we've come to the time in our gathering where we take bread and juice as a symbol of